0: You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David.
1: I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you.
0: Fatality. You know... Starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. <laughs> I said that with a straight face. This is- Distilling Theology.
1: Welcome back, Christians, men, women, the only two genders there are. We are so happy that you are back with us uh, for yet another episode. 71 episodes, in fact. This is our 71st episode of Distilling Theology. I can't believe it. I am shocked and in awe of your support. Thank you for joining me. Uh, Your regular co-host, Justin. I am, of course, joined by my irregular (laughs) co-host. Just kidding. Uh, My buddy, Blake, best friend, long-haired, goateed-having, mountain man. Um, Welcome back. Uh, It's good to see you again, brother. How are you doing?
0: It's good to see you, and it's good to hear you, man. We, uh, Mm. We were just mentioning to our Patreons our thanks to them because we've been able to upgrade our microphones. Uh, Justin's just came earlier, so we figured we'd put it to good use. Uh, so we're really excited about that. No, man, I'm good. Uh, my power went out. Uh, fuse blew last night at one in the morning. and Yikes. It's like 80 degrees, and I don't sleep well in the heat. And then it blew again today. So, you know, living the dream, but God is good. Dude, and, we're Northmen. Uh, we
1: don't sleep well in the heat, man.
0: No, dude, I can't do it. I don't know I don't know how people do it because uh, it's too much for me. I'm. Uh, it's true. But you put me in like you know, negative 20 degrees outside. And I, I got that, but you know, <laughs> if it's above, like if the thermostat's above 68 degrees at night, it's a, it's over. It's too much. It's too much. Absolutely. It's, it's uh you know, it's sign or I guess I could say 71 degrees because of this episode, but that would be lying. Oh, that'd be a lie. And that would be a sin. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we it's don't want to be silent uh, in the space of confronting sin.
1: I took a, I took a mini trip to to Mexico and the heat was very intense and I mm. kept my air conditioning at like 62 degrees and it was so nice to sleep in that freezing cold room i'll tell you
0: what praise that's the lord it's gotta be
1: cold man it's gotta be cold so blake i'm excited to sip this beverage tonight if you want to tell us a little bit about what we're drinking uh, sure. for those of you on patreon you can see uh it does look like water but i promise you it is not
0: it is not indeed this is el silencio Espadín mezcal bottled at 43 percent alcohol by volume or 86 proof it's hundred percent agave that was aged between eight to 12 years. And remember with mezcals and tequilas, uh, when you're measuring the aging, you're talking about how long the plant grew before they, they harvested it and prepared Mm -hmm. it to, to, distill it down. Um, in the case of this one, because it's clear, there's no barrel aging to it. Um, and from what I saw online, this was intended to be used as a mixer. So I'm not, I'm not expecting to have my mind blown here, but you know what? It was a little sample bottle and, uh, I am a sucker for packaging and it's, it looks pretty cool. So I'm pretty stoked. Got some neat looking little, Oh, your patrons can see it looks like little
1: tattoos on the
0: side or something. Yeah. A little texture, a little texture. Uh, let's see, Noise. I immediately get like, I will say this very clearly mezcal. It has that grassiness. It has that, um, that kind of smoky, uh, earthiness to it.
1: Yeah. I was going to say there's a, there's a little bit of light fruit, a little, maybe apple sweetness. Um, yeah, but definitely a, a good smoky ride
0: and a lot of saline and salt. Yes. Maybe a little bit of pepper too. Like a, I don't know, maybe some black pepper in there.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. not terribly complex. I mean, it's pretty straight. It's pretty straightforward, uh, on the nose. i I'm, I imagine it's probably going to be similar. Let's the, uh, find out.
0: All right, dude. Cheers.
1: Okay. It's definitely smoky the whole way through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a little bit of apple sweetness, though. Some sort of... Uh, I don't know. It's kind of... It's very light. It's very oily. It's not terribly flavorful. I mean, it's not like overwhelmingly full of flavor. No. Um, I'd say it's pretty pretty bland. It probably... Again, it'd probably be fine in a mixer. Um, yeah. But it's definitely kind of like a simple kind of bland character. There's not really a whole lot of flavor to it outside of the, the smokiness and little bit mm. of fruitiness.
0: You know, you could say that the nose, uh, you know, has the semblance <laughs> of the truth. It it smells like the truth thing. And then when you taste it, it just results in disappointment and sadness, oh. Oh, my which God, is very I'm relevant to what we're talking about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're talking about heresy tonight. So, you know, talking about how heresy, um, has a, a scent of the truth, and in many ways, it sounds true. And and we'll explore this a little bit tonight, specifically in Trinitarian heresies. That they all have an element that's like, oh yeah, I see what you're going for there. But then they veer off in a direction and and cause you know irreparable, damnable damage. So let's not do that. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on the spirit though before we pray and jump in?
1: No, no, I'm I'm ready to go, man. Let's let's dive, dive into this. Into some do, prayers it's, here.
0: It's been a while since we had like a disappointing pour.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not like, it's not like I'm sad, like I'll I'll happily finish it, but it's not like I'm not excited about it.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's it, man. Like, I'm not going to buy it again. I have other, I have other mezcals that I'll use um, for mixing that are fine. And I think this is more expensive than them. So it's like, eh, like, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's It's like, could do better, could do worse, but. It's fine. You could do better for the same price, so why not? Sure, 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 That's what I'm saying. Anyways, on that note, guys, we're going to open uh, with prayer from the Valley of Vision, published by Banner of Truth. This is on page 28, The Gift of Gifts. Let us pray. O source of all good, what shall I render to thee for the gift of gifts? Thine own dear son, begotten, not created, my redeemer, proxy, shorty, substitute, his self-emptying incomprehensible, his infinity of love beyond the heart's grasp. Herein is wonder of wonders. He came below to raise me above, was born like me that I might become like him. Herein is love when I cannot rise to him, he draws near on wings of grace to raise me to himself. Here in his power, when deity and humanity were infinitely apart, he united them in indissoluble unity the uncreated and the created. Here in his wisdom, when I was undone, with no will to return to him and no intellect to devise recovery, he came, God incarnate, to save me to the utmost. As a man, to die my death, to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, to work out a perfect righteousness for me. O God, take me in spirit to the watchful shepherds and enlarge my mind, Let me hear good tidings of great joy and hearing believe, rejoice, praise, adore. My conscience bathed in an ocean of repose. My eyes uplifted to a reconciled father. Place me with ox, ass, camel, goat to look with them upon my Redeemer's face and in him account myself delivered from sin. Let me with Simeon clasp the newborn child to my heart. Embrace him with undying faith. Exulting that he is mine and I am his. In him thou hast given me so much that heaven can give me no more.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Amen.
0: Amen. Man, so good every time.
1: <laughs> it really never gets old.
0: Indeed. Indeed. So, yeah, tonight, uh, Fun times. We're we're moving into our uh, you know second episode on the Trinity, part six of our of our uh, theology proper series here. <laughs> Listen, you know, so, what did
1: you expect from us, people? Come on.
0: Well, you could say this this is so bad. Speaking of bad analogies, I'm about to make a really terrible one. Oh, here could we go. Say we have the the uh, the substance of the theology proper series, and then we're subsisting in the the Trinity series, mm-hmm. which is just like. <laughs> Oh, Patrick. <laughs> um, well, yeah, listen, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Regarding the Trinity. Okay. So let's just start off pretty blatantly forward, right? What is the Trinity? What right. do we mean when we say the Trinity? So of course right. we're talking about uh, the Godhead, uh, mm-hmm. three distinct persons, one being, one essence, one God. We are monotheists. We believe mm-hmm. in one singular God. Uh Vast beyond all measure, yet he is indeed uh, revealed in three persons: um, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit. they are not one another. the father is not the son, the son is not the father, the Holy Spirit is neither the father nor the son. Uh, however, they are distinct from one another uh, right the the uh, son is begotten, not made right mm. the the Holy Spirit proceeds from the father and the son, um, so they are mm. distinct um, yet perfectly in unity uh, in in essence, and they are one God. And so uh, it seems a little bit wild uh, if you've maybe never heard of such a thing before. Um, I would be shocked if you hadn't, because it's 2021 and who hasn't heard of God uh, in the Trinity. However, uh, it's possible, certainly. Um, Now, Blake, isn't the Trinity a contradiction?
0: Well, yeah, actually that was, so going back to what I mentioned last week, growing up in a Unitarian context, I always had this gotcha in my back pocket as a, you know, as a young guy, I was like, well, you guys are just affirming a contradiction, which in many ways is a Jehovah's witness argument, is sure. a Islamic argument. Like this is, this is not a new thing. I thought it was new because I was like, well, clearly this is the the clear and plain reading. Um, so a formally a contradiction is You know, based on the the law of logic of non-contradiction, right? That contradictory propositions cannot both be true in the same sense at the same time. So you can't say A is the case and A is not the case at the same time and in the same relationship. Or you can't say A equals B and not B at the same time in the same relationship.
1: What? Why? Why?
0: Uh, Because that would be a blatant, flagrant logical contradiction. (laughs) So a contradictory Trinitarian formula, which would not be Trinitarianism because the Trinity is not a contradiction, formal logical contradiction, right? A contradiction would be to say that God is one in person and three in person, or to say that God is three in essence and one in essence. That's a contradiction because you're saying A and not A, Um, and you can't do that per the law of logic. Now, paradox is something that sounds contradictory on the face, but once you examine it a little closer, it... It doesn't actually violate the law of non-contradiction. And then there's mystery, which is things that we believe or hold to be true, but we don't understand how they're true or why they're true. And so the Trinity is somewhere between paradox and mystery for us. Um, We confess the classical Trinitarian formulation, one in essence, three in person. But we can't necessarily explain the the mechanics of all of that, and nor has God given us the revelation to do so. He's an infinite being, and we are finite.
1: Yeah, I mean, I imagine that realistically there's no way we could really comprehend that with our finite minds. Uh, Mm. So why bother (laughs) in that Mm -hmm. regard, right? Um, Now, of course, as you can imagine with a doctrine like this, uh, there's bound to be a lot of um, great misunderstandings uh, (laughs) put forth both by those who hate God and also those who just simply are maybe not as well educated about God and his nature. And so... Uh, there's a number of uh, heresies and analogies associated with the Trinity, and so we're hoping that uh, we can go through and explain some of these and explain what the Trinity is not, at the very least. Yes, um, this is one of those topics where we need to be very careful not to accidentally heresy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it can be very easy to do that because it's such a, uh, a, a hard to explain because of the nature of what it is. Right, we we can't sure. fully know it, so of course we're gonna that's gonna lead us to. Um, have to be very careful with our words here, yes. uh, So that we don't look. If we screw up, by all means, let us know. Yes, Uh, please. We don't want. We don't want to accidentally. Uh, we'll happily issue a correction. We're both, I think, humble enough to, um, be willing to be corrected. So absolutely. uh, But we we tried to at least do our homework a little bit here.
0: For sure. And speaking of doing homework, this week's episode is sponsored by Logos Nine, one of the most powerful Bible study softwares available, and you can do your homework. Uh, as well as our using that. If you're in seminary, if you're a pastor, or if you're a layperson who's a nerd like us and just likes to read theology and study the Bible more deeply, Lagos puts the tools in your hands. Uh, if you are a student, though, you can set up whatever your, uh, your writing style has to be, APA, MLA, Turabian, whatever it is, and when you copy stuff, it will paste the footnotes into your document uh, automatically. So you don't have to do that, which is crazy and wonderful. But now Logus is great. I actually used it earlier tonight, building the notes out because there was a quote I wanted to pull from Calvin. And I only remembered one phrase from the quote, but I searched the institutes. The quote came right up. So Logus is wonderful. Thank you to them for sponsoring this episode. Uh, and Justin, where can our listeners go if they want to get a discount uh, Get yeah, well if you guys taught.
1: head over to Lagos.com slash Distilling Theology, you can actually save 10% on whatever package, Woo-hoo. and you will get five free books. Um, so head on over there. Uh, if it's something you're interested in, or perhaps you want to gift it to your pastor or an elder in your church, yes. uh, or perhaps they might be interested and you want to share that with them, uh, Lagos.com slash Distilling Theology. Save some money, get some free books. Uh, like Blake said, you can do your homework or you can do our homework. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Blake, for that uh, that's a Perdean
0: slip right there. Well, no, it's true. You know, if 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 we're saying something that's you know unintentionally heretical or inaccurate, and if you have the books in your library, then by all means, go check it out. Look at these things. Like, w- we welcome that. Join us in the Do Facebook our group for that too. Right. Do our homework. That's it. That's it. Uh, i gonna put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> so amazing. anyway,
1: jumping back in here.
0: For sure. For sure. Uh
1: Let's talk a little bit about things that the Trinity is not. Right. Indeed. We can start off pretty blatantly, which I think is one of the most um, obvious ones. I guess you could say it's pretty obvious that you might come up with this one if you're uneducated on what the Trinity is. Uh, it's one of the mistakes the Mormons make, for example, mm-hmm. when they're trying to refute Christian Trinitarianism. Uh, they will often talk about uh, the, the Trinity as though it's tritheism, right? Tritheism is the idea that there are three gods, not one god. Right? right? You have, uh, when we say the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is God. Um, We're not saying each one of them is an independent God (laughs) and that there are three gods that are unified. You you know, we don't even want to say there's three gods that are unified in purpose or whatever. Any silly uh, nonsense about that. uh, The scriptures are very clear that God is in fact one being, one essence, uh, Mm. perfectly unified. There's a major distinction to be made between person and, and being, right? right? You you talked about this briefly in our last episode. You and yeah. I, are our person and our being are restricted, right? Yep. Our being is stuck inside our, or our person is stuck inside our being. Sure. You are a human being. And so as a human being, your limitation of personhood is that you can only be the person that you are. Right. Um, God is not, a man, <laughs> which, uh, which Scripture says God is not a man, and therefore he is not limited or bound by the nature that we have. He has yes. his own nature, uh, which is infinite in power and whatever, it, hmm. he's, in, he's an infinite God. And therefore, the idea that uh, this being could have multiple persons really isn't that crazy a concept. Uh, right. if we understand the nature of God, because he is not like us. We make the same mistake uh, with a lot of other things, right? We apply um, what we can understand to God rather than letting our understanding of ourselves come from God. Mm-hmm. And so God must be like me. He must have a nature like me. And that's a huge error to make, uh, a, a yes. damnable error, in fact. Uh, right. If you are to hold to something like tritheism, you have uh, <laughs> gravenly misunderstood the trinity
0: uh, to your right. own demise. Right. Well, even in the word, right, it it's trinity. Yeah. It's not um it's not three gods. So that's the, that's a first one that that's very easy to discard out of hand, but at the same time uh, again in my own background before I came to embrace orthodox christology and orthodox trinitarianism, I often would straw man my trinitarian friends as being tritheists. Very similar to the Mormons, sure. right, I would say. Yeah. Well, no, but you have three gods, though. And those who weren't (laughs) theologically adept couldn't necessarily maneuver out of what I was trying to box them in. Sure. Um, So for those of you guys listening, if you encounter a Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or anyone else who's denying the Trinity, don't don't let somebody box you into this tritheism argument because that's not what we're saying. And if that's what they're arguing against, you're going to argue against it with them. like. And and I would even make that point and say, look, I'm not a tritheist. I am not a polytheist. Like I'm a monotheist, like you. And if you want to argue against tritheism, I'm I'm there with it. But that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. And so it's easy to attack a doctrine on the basis of a straw man, just like the you know the the Calvinistic. Uh, you know, we talked about that a couple episodes. You know, back in in our Calvinism series, like there's all kinds of straw men. And that's not helpful, but uh, Justin, what's the next one here that uh, I'm hearing it in the Donald and Connell voices from Lutheran satire? (laughs) That's partialism, Patrick. Uh,
1: Ultimately, uh, partialism is the idea that God is made up of three constituent parts, right? God is made up of, um, he's part son, part father, part Holy Spirit. Um, Sometimes you might make the the error that he's like uh, (laughs) 33.33%, you know, Son sure. and father and so on uh, as though um as though he's some sort of uh mixture of those things, a blend of those things yeah um and that again uh, gravenly misunderstands the nature of the beings of god uh, right right we we've we've hit on this point several times we'll hit on it again he is a the father is a hundred percent God, yes. the son is a hundred percent God, the Holy Spirit is a hundred percent God, much mm-hmm. like his attributes right he is he's right. not partially made of love he is Love yes. he is his attributes uh and also in his nature he is his persons, and mm. so um we need to be careful not to make that error uh in 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 our judgment of god's character and in who he is by nature um that mm. really yeah. limits god and think if you think of just the logical consequences of that right if if Jesus sure. the Christ is only thirty three percent God <laughs> uh dying on the cross is meaningless yeah uh, What's thirty three percent of a God going to do for you, right? right. Um, and so it's it's of great importance to uh, to get this doctrine right as well. Um, mm. We we need to we need to not make these errors. Um, sure. So partialism, another. Uh, I would say, I would say this one is probably, and and I have no stats to back this up. This is just total conjecture, but in my experience with people that I've spoken with over the years about God and the Trinity. A lot of Christians make this error, Mm -hmm. um, who I believe are really brothers and sisters in Christ, but out of ignorance uh, make this specific error um, Mm -hmm. because they recognize they've been told God is one God, so they don't make the tritheist error. However, they end up falling into this error where they don't understand uh, the nature of the persons of God and and will either fall into this or some sort of modalism, which is one of the next things we're going to talk about, so...
0: Yeah, and modalism I think is one of the more rampant ones, especially in like the Oneness Pentecostal yes. movement and some of these types of things that that I wouldn't necessarily categorize as Unitarians because they're going in a different direction mm-hmm. with their error. But uh, modalism, there's a couple layers here. I borrowed this largely from RC Sproul's lecture series, "The Mystery of the Trinity." So I'm indebted there. Rightfully um, so. <laughs> and uh, I did have, I do have a fact check point on here that I will I will mention when I get to it, church history wise, that I ran past a church history friend of mine from the Society of Reform podcast, and I can't find a citation for this, so feel free to look it up. So I'm just saying this is uh, the, the point he made was the logic is there, but I don't know if the historicity of the terminology is accurate. But as far as the logic of what is being argued, that's correct. So I'm just going to preface this with that. So modalism or sabellianism is the the view that God is one person and one being, right, just like us, one in person, one in being, who manifests himself in different modes at different times of redemptive history, if you want to get really nitty-gritty, right? So the Father first, then is the Son, then is the Holy Spirit. And this was in the 3rd century AD that this heresy was rampant. Um, If you want to get really technical, it is a form of modalistic monarchianism, um, which borrows from Gnostic ideas that basically all of creation is God. Modalistic monarchianism doesn't go that far, but it takes that idea and applies it here, right? So Sibelius would use the analogy of the sun and its rays and say, well, like the father is the sun. And then, you know, the rays of the sun are like the word or Christ. Right. And so it's really the same essence, but it's just further removed from the core. So it's a lower emanation, which is a Gnostic idea, a lower emanation from the father, but it's the same substantial stuff because usia basically is just stuff. Uh, So he, Now, this is the claim that I'm not, my church history friend could not get a citation for this. So, and I made this comment last week with uncertainty. So this is where I heard it. um, And I really respect Dr. Sproul. I imagine Ligonier wouldn't leave this out there without some basis. But at the same time, I couldn't find a citation. Neither could my church history friend. But the claim was that Sibelius used the word homoousios, which we'll remember from last week as the Orthodox word after Nicaea, right? But he used it to mean same being essence as in, Christ is just a lower mode of the same being. Essentially, what he's saying is it's just one person, one being, one person that is just sort of operating in different modes throughout time. And this heresy was condemned in AD 267. And again, without a citation here, uh, Sproul mentioned in that lecture that the term homoousios was rejected by the church at that moment in 267, Mm -hmm. affirming the word homoousios instead of similar being to avoid the Sibelian heresy. Now what, what Tony from reformed brotherhood said was he, he doesn't remember this. I can't find a citation, but he said the logic of that statement is sound as far as what was going on in two sixty seven. Sabellius Sibelius was saying Jesus is God, but he was not saying it in a way that is orthodox or, or say, sound. Right. And so the church rejected this modalistic view of, of that language of, of same being in different modes. Um, Hence, he yeah, had this similar essence was the term that was being used because what you didn't want to say was that, well, the father and the son are the same person. And so the church was trying to avoid that. And And Tony was saying the logic of that is correct, but the linguistics get a little bit funky because you're talking about Latin and Greek and it gets a little wild, but it makes the it, it, the logical point is the same. Uh, but this leads directly into the next heresy on here, which is a big one. It's a doozy. And it led into uh, the, the cause of the Nicene Creed, the the reason why it was written. This came in the fourth century. And Justin, what heresy is this?
1: <laughs> yeah, so we're looking at uh, dynamic monarchianism. Whoa, ho uh, now, really, monarchianism took two forms primarily. Mm-hmm. There was dynamic or adoptionist, and then there was um, uh, modalistic. Obviously, yep. uh, so the dynamic is so called because it has to do with the source of Jesus' miracles. Yes, um, you know, we get the name from the Greek uh, dy- "dynamis." <laughs> um, I'm I'm no Greek Dynamos, scholar. Right. Uh, close, yeah. a little bit yeah. different than Dinamos. Uh But basically that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was virgin-born, according mm-hmm. to them, but he was a mere man whose piety was rewarded with special attention from God. Uh, when he was baptized, then God came upon him and filled him with such godly wisdom and power that from then on he was able to do miracles. Um, mm. So basically that he took on a form of some sort of deity, right? right? It, 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 in other words, his deity was dynamic, right? It was able to come
0: and go. <laughs> Um, right. And we see that to some degree in some of the contemporary like New oh, Apostolic sure. Reformation nonsense Absolutely. of like, well, we're taking on this this Precisely. quality, which is they're just ap- Right, they're crazy. applying that
1: same thing onto themselves. Yes. Uh, especially when you hear them calling themselves little gods, right? Ugh. We are little gods. Talk about blatant heresy. Um, yeah. But it's run. also, right, the reason it's also called adoptionism is because it views Jesus as being adopted as God's son at the moment of his empowering. And yeah. then Jesus... Uh, is not God's only begotten Son; therefore, mm. uh, he's simply God's adopted Son, um, which again flies right in the face of uh, John one one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, uh, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the Greek there is proston theon, right? He is face to face with the Father in eternity, going back as far as you can go, yeah. as long as you want to go. Right, and not you not can't he, be face right. Faced, right? You can't be face to face with God. Uh, and we know that Jesus was the Word, the Word made flesh. And so, uh, you have to entirely reject John one one, which is why the Jehovah's Witnesses add a God, right, instead of Jesus. The Word was God. They say the Word was a God. Um. So yeah, it's it's a huge, it's a huge thing. Uh, it began with a false teaching from uh from a leather worker named Theodotus, uh, who brought oh. his ideas from the Byzantine from Byzantine, um, to Rome in around AD 190. And then taught that he didn't perform miracles prior to prior to his baptism and so on. So there's a bunch of crap involved with that. Obviously, it was propagated by Arius as well, right? Um, uh, right. That um,
0: well, he took a form of it, right? Where he would say yes. that the first created thing or created being is the logos. Right. But the logos then is used to create everything. So, so what Arius is trying to do is to couch his heresy in scriptural terms. Precisely. He's yeah. he's very precise. Sneaky.
1: Sneak, yeah. right? He's a sneaky. He's a
0: sneaky snake, to quote uh, Calvin. Like yeah. it, he yeah. he affirms that the world was made by him, mm-hmm. and that all that was made was made through him, from John one, right, or from from Hebrews about how I uh, think the world was made by him. But what he's saying, which is very sneaky, is the Father created the logos. Right. at some point and then use the logos to create everything. So that right. makes him not eternal, which makes him not equal with God, which, uh, it's a misunderstanding
1: to, yeah. of the hypostatic union taking on
0: sure. flesh, right? Right. Jesus, right. It's actually the opposite sort of, right?
1: <laughs> right. It's like the flesh took on God rather than hey. God taking on flesh in the form of, uh, or not the form. Again, see, see how careful it is. Yeah. got to be careful there. Uh, when, when Jesus came, he took on flesh, um, mm. And so, yeah, I mean, this prompted, right? This prompted the Council of Nicaea to to deal to deal with it with the creed, right? Uh, he was begotten, not made. Yes, uh, he's he he was the eternally begotten Son, mm-hmm. uh, and he was co substantial and co eternal with the Father. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Nicene Creed uses the word homoousios <laughs> to confront Arianism because of this. Uh, right.
0: And, and there was that other citation yeah. that I was, that I was missing, which I, again, I made the statement last week and yes. I did hear it from the Ligonier lecture by Sproul, but I can't find the citation for it. So it's out there, but, uh, so if I'm wrong, willing to be corrected. Uh, yes. but the statement was Arius was using homoiousias uh, because it was like, that was the logic of what was being used post-Sibelianism. Yes. Like, well, we're not Sibelians. We're not saying that that, uh, you know, Jesus is this. But what he's doing effectively is saying the Son is a creature. He is not true God. He is not eternal. And therefore, you know, he's he's worthy of honor and praise, but he's distinct from God in a way that he is of a different, you know, he's a similar substance, but he's not the same essence. And, you know, at at this point, we could get into a whole series of Christological heresies that we're not going to do yet because we'll do that when we get to Christology. And obviously there's a lot of overlap here, but... Um, it's really important to bear in mind the difference between distinction and separation. And R.C. Sproul said this really succinctly, right? You are a body and a soul. If I distinguish between the, those two things, I haven't harmed you. But if I separate your body from your soul, I've killed you. Like <laughs> the difference between distinction and separation is huge. Um, I don't know if you have any other uh, specific thoughts on on Arianism or the, this broader dynamic monarchianism that Arius espoused in his own distinct way.
1: Um, I mean, realistically, um, for the most part, it died out in the mid third century. I mean, we still have a form of that today in Unitarianism, right? Sure. Um, there's definitely a form of, uh, Monarch, Monarchianism, um, mm. that he is not divine and that there is no Trinity and that God exists as a single person. um, yeah. Uh, and obviously it's spiritually dangerous because of that. It attacks the very nature of God. So we just need to be careful, uh, mm-hmm. in, in recognizing the way that God has uh, revealed himself. Um, mm-hmm. and that moves on right to, <laughs> to blatant Arianism, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's the idea that God is, uh, the, the sun, uh, no, six and one, that the sun is indeed a creature, uh, and not truly God. Yeah. Um, which is like what we have here. Um, I mean, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Unitarianism, to some degree, that Jesus is a created being, right. um, and so that's why that word "begotten" is so incredibly important. He's begotten, yes. not made. He's not a creature, right? right? Um, that's it. That's a that's a huge problem. <laughs> yeah. If a creature died on the cross, so what? Right. Who cares? Yeah. He's just a creature. Uh, right. This is one of those heresies where it's like, um, um, I had a thought and it's running away from me.
0: Oh, no. You better go catch it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, Arianism bad, Trinitarianism good. That's <laughs> it, man. That? That's <laughs> it. Well
0: and that, that brings us into like some of the objections to the doctrine. And from my own personal experience, and again, I was no scholar. Um, you know, I was well versed in it and I could argue sure. my position and I could do circles around my friends who had no idea what I was talking about and weren't equipped for handling this kind of argumentation. Um, but ultimately, then when I ran into Calvin and Bavinck and Augustine, I couldn't compete because they had considered these things because they were confronting them, right? Uh, in the Reformation Day and, and, and post-Reformation, they were dealing with the Socinians, And in in Augustine's day and Athanasius, they were dealing with the Arians and and those controversies. So like I, you know, I'm not the first person to think of these things, but I I broke it into like three kind of contemporary ways that I've seen this doctrine objected to. The first is the category of scriptural silence. The second is kind of an anti-papist category. And the third is uh, that scripture precludes such a doctrine from being possible. So I'm just going to run these down, uh, and I'd love to interact with you on these a little bit. But one of them is, just first, Justin, the word Trinity doesn't appear in Scripture. So, you know, checkmate, orthodoxy.
1: Yeah, so uh, hermeneutics are important. <laughs> so just because a particular word may not be in Scripture uh, mm. does not necessarily mean that a doctrine uh, with a particular word is not true. For example, sure. uh, gay. It's not in scripture, but you can read man shall not lie with a man as he does with a woman. That's pretty clear, uh, that that has to do with gay, the big gay. (laughs) So just because the word Trinity or the exact phrasing is not there doesn't mean that we can't clearly infer it even from creation, right? The spirit of God hovering over the deep, right? Uh, we see the word, uh, we see, um, Jesus own words. You know, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, I and the father are one, uh there there's so much abundant scriptural evidence um to form the doctrine of the trinity that you you literally have to have blinders on to to see it any other way mm. um historically this is obviously attacked quite frequently um but it's it's but why right because it's right. overwhelmingly obvious and those who hate god are going to attack the important things Right, that's right. why. That's why, for example, if you look at the cults, right, uh, mm-hmm. Mormonism, Mor- Mormons aren't out there attacking Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not out right. there dealing with Wiccans. They're coming after the Christians, yeah. right? Jehovah's Witnesses are writing against the Christians. Cults are always warring against true biblical Trinitarian Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so, why would that be? Well, the doctrine is true and historically understood. Um, yeah, they're going to come after it. So, uh, hermeneutics are superbly important. How yes. do you read the scriptures? Um, because if you throw out the Trinity, because the word Trinity is not in the scriptures, you have to throw out mm, half of Christian doctrine, I'm going to say at least. <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and, you know, you can extend that. Out. Well, three in one and God and three persons aren't in the Bible. Okay. Well, here's the a, here's a thing why did the church use this language? And Calvin yes. has a really insightful passage that I'm going to read in full here from the Institutes. I pulled this up in Lagos because I remembered the one statement in this paragraph and (laughs) and was able to search by that phrase and find the exact quote I was looking for. So kudos there. So this is from the first book, uh, chapter 13, and this is section four. So I'm just going to read this and, and I'll probably end up trimming a little bit for the podcast. Calvin writes, such novelty, if novelty it should be called, becomes most requisite or most necessary, right? When the truth is to be maintained against calumniators who evade it by quibbling of this. We of the present day have too much experience in being constantly called upon to attack the enemies of pure and sound doctrine. These slippery snakes escape by their swift and tortuous windings, if not strenuously pursued and when caught firmly held. Thus the early Christians, when harassed with the disputes which heresies produced, were forced to declare their sentiments in terms most scrupulously exact in order that no Uh, indirect subterfuges might remain to ungodly men, to whom ambiguity of expression was a kind of hiding place. And he expounds on this. Calvin goes on to write, Arius confessed that Christ was God and the Son of God because the passages of scripture to this effect were too clear to be resisted. And then, as if he had done well, pretended to concur with others. There's some shouting happening in the streets. I can hear it. They're upset about, uh, Arianism. <laughs> Pretended to concur with others. But meanwhile, he ceased not to give out that Christ was created and had a beginning like other creatures, to drag this man of wiles out of his lurking places. <laughs> the ancient church took a further step and declared that Christ is the eternal Son of the Father and consubstantial with the Father, The impiety was fully disclosed when the Arians began to declare their hatred and utter detestation of the term homoesion. Had their first confession, viz, that Christ was God, been sincere and from the heart, they would not have denied that he was consubstantial with the Father, who dare charge these ancient writers as men of strife and contention for having debated so warmly and disturbed the quiet of the church for a single word. That little word distinguished between Christians of pure faith and the blasphemous Arians. And he goes on to talk through different errors in church history. But Calvin's point through that, and I love what he, he, he describes this as these slippery snakes who twist the language of scripture and slide out from underneath, uh, you know, confessions of faith and will, will affirm with you a statement but they don't mean the same thing. They don't mean orthodoxy. And that's why the church invented language to define this is what we mean, right? You can not Arians couldn't affirm coessential and consubstantial with the Father. They couldn't affirm it. And the Trinity, they couldn't affirm this language ultimately. And that's why Nicaea is framed the way it is, uh, as, a, as a shibboleth or as a, a goalpost, a check uh, at the door.
1: Yeah, I was actually just going to— read part of what Sproul said in uh, "In what is the Trinity, right? Mm. The Church used the term Trinity, right, to stop the mouths of the heretics, those who are teaching tri-theism or uh, those who deny the tri-personality of God insisting on some view of Unitarianism. Uh, we might say that the word Trinity is a shibboleth, like you just mentioned, right? Yeah. The Book of Judges tells of the conflict between the men of Gilead led by uh, Shep, Taff, I don't know <that>. Uh, And the men of Ephraim, right, to uh, identify their enemies, the soldiers of Gilead, uh, required strangers to say Shibboleth, and so on. So uh, the whole point uh, of of the Trinity being used was to counterattack those who were promoting such heresies uh, that we have talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, man. And then you have some of these other like arguments that I don't think are as strong, but they're present. You'll hear these sentiments, at least I heard them in the Unitarian circles I ran in, was sure. uh, the Roman Catholic Church confessed these things. Therefore, they are false traditions of men, which,
1: Yikes. you
0: know, there's truth in the sense that we want to be skeptical, but there's a reason that the Reformers didn't throw out classical theism or the right. doctrine of the Trinity. right. Uh, and I have a note in here that the Reformation didn't go far enough. These radical reformers believed that the, it must be furthered by returning to biblical teaching free from man-made traditions. Now, at the time, that was your Anabaptists, but Yikes. the Anabaptists later opened the door to the Socinians and the other radical reformers. And so you have you go from like uh, this denial of the need for some sense of structure in the church and, and doctrine, and then you end up with like outright denials of the trinity and the deity of christ and these things are are problematic and then justin there's these last two here um these two arguments yeah, that yeah
1: i was just going to say if you can't throw out everything that the roman catholic church has promoted just because it's from the roman catholic church that's just that's just poor argumentation for anything if your math teacher also preaches to you uh same sex marriage that doesn't mean that his math is wrong it just Means that he has no idea what marriage is. I mean, you know what I mean. So, the 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 Catholic Church, the Papist Church, gets some things right. They recognize Jesus is God. They recognize Mm. the Trinity. They recognize um, a number of biblical things. Uh, Mm. The problem is they've also added things that are unbiblical. So uh, that's I'd I'd say one of the big differences between a cult and an apostate church. Right? The the Roman. Church was at one time the Church. They've apostatized. Mm. Uh, yeah. They've gone astray, uh, but they didn't totally flip upside down and become a cult. Um, yeah. So anyway, look, Scripture precludes uh, such doctrines from being possible, right? That's one of the objections here, that yeah. the Bible is explicitly monotheistic and God is one, and there are thousands of singular persona pronouns referring to him from Ren- uh, Genesis or Revelation and that also the biblical authors would never later never have laid out such a doctrine and that it was formulated in the 4th century um right. that's just again horribly uh historically inaccurate and also um hmm. biblically illiterate i mean <laughs> realistically right. um the, any even reasonable hermeneutic of, of scripture even if you end up in arminianism or some other um
0: Dispensationalism, right? Dispensationalism,
1: yeah. or so. I, none of them are rejecting the Trinity because it's so abundantly obvious. Um, yeah. The Scripture is very clear uh, about all uh, three persons of the Trinity being God. Um, yeah. in 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 no way can be read as any of these other things unless you really uh, do some somersaults uh, sure. with the text.
0: And the other the other objection that I used to use, and and uh, you know, I've heard friends of mine say is. Well the words essence being person subsistence, they don't they don't appear in the text. They're just imports. You're 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 taking uh Greek philosophy and Roman religion and you're importing it and and overlay you know, Constantine called the Council of Nicaea and he put Greek philosophy into uh, Christianity. And but that was an argument. Like I, yes. I thought that for a long time. And Sproul made a really good point. He's like, okay, um, try to talk about nothing what is nothing he goes as soon as you start to describe it you have failed because nothing is literally like it is the the absence of a thing so if you say nothing is blank you are not describing nothing anymore he's like try, try to talk for 2 minutes without using you know the phrase to be or you know talking about these like he's like you you cannot escape this language um yeah. it just happens that the greek language was used to communicate truth and he's like you know what else was written in greek <laughs> the new testament right like, <laughs> the lord used this language that was very dynamic and rich and, and popular in the world at the time to communicate his truth and so far be it from us to say well you know these words are just imports or it's like well just again like natural revelation's a thing like the philosophers had some stuff right They had a lot of stuff wrong, but like, I think there's a lot of truth to these things. And, um, you know, I I had one other brief little comment here from Mr. Bavink from Reformed Dogmatics. Uh, I will not read the whole two pages, but I just wanted to get um, this comment in here where he says on page 298 of Reformed Dogmatics, volume two in Trinitarian terminology. So if you have the book, get a hold of this chapter and take a look at it. He says beyond scripture's language, question mark, like. What are we doing? The exact argument, right, that, that, well, this language isn't in the text. Bavinck writes that from the very beginning, the Christian church took a different course. To the church, the doctrine of the Trinity was the dogma and hence the mystery par excellence. The essence of Christianity, the absolute self-revelation of God in the person of Christ and the absolute self-communication of God in the Holy Spirit could only be maintained, the church believed, if it had its foundations and first principle in the ontological trinity. So he goes on here and talks about this extra-biblical language, but he makes this comment, right? Uh, The function of this language, right, the use of these terms is not designed to make possible the introduction of new extra-biblical or even anti-biblical dogmas, but on the contrary, to defend the truths of Scripture against all heresy. Their function is much more negative than positive. They mark the boundary lines within which Christian thought must proceed in order to preserve the truth of revelation. And he says something very similar to Calvin here. This is page 297. Under the guise of being scriptural, biblical theology, and he's talking now polemically against what we're discussing, not the, not the discipline of biblical theology that we talked about a few weeks ago. Just bear that in mind this has always strayed further away from the truth of Scripture, while ecclesiastical orthodoxy, with its extra-biblical terminology, has consistently been vindicated as scriptural. And I would encourage people, like, read that whole section in Reformed Dogmatics, because Bavink just demolishes this notion that well, the term doesn't appear, and these words aren't Mm -hmm. there, so this is false. What he's saying is, no, the heretics, as Calvin, the slippery snakes, they slide in and use this language. Arius used very biblical sounding terminology to defend his position. I did as a Unitarian. I used, I would just go to the text. But I was doing it to your point, Justin, with such bad hermeneutics and I wasn't holding together what the scripture is teaching, both the monotheism, the, the singularity and unity of God, but also his trinity and these yes. three persons. And I was refusing to 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 combine those two. And I wrestled, I would say, yeah, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, these are quote difficult passages or John eight or John 14 or John 20 or Matthew 28 or, you know, I could keep going like the difficult passages uh, build up if you, (laughs) if you're not careful. And uh, you know, I think next week we're hoping to talk about a little bit more of that when, when we keep going, but Justin, we similar to last week, but what are some of our recommended readings and ideas as we wrap up this episode?
1: Yeah. So we definitely want to uh, point you to Sproul regarding his lecture series, the mystery of the Trinity. I mean, you, you, you almost can't go wrong ever with Sproul. Yep. Uh, unless you're talking about baptism.
0: Uh, Delighting in the oh. Trinity
1: by Michael Reeves. Uh, Boy, another one. Uh, Introduction to the Trinity by Scott Swain. Um, Simple Trinity by Matthew Barrett. James. It White actually
0: says, is Simply Trinity. You said it right it last week, and I typed I it wrong. So. Yeah. Uh,
1: James White's uh, Forgotten Trinity, of course, yeah. uh, which we mentioned before. Uh, the creeds and confessions uh, at reformstandards.com. Go there. Seriously, it's an awesome website. Throw those guys nice. some support. We have De Trinitates. <laughs> by Augustine. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the chapters mentioned by Blake and Boving's Reformed Dogmatics uh, and Van Maastricht's Practical uh, Theoretical Theology. I mean, there, there's literally a <laughs> there's so many good resources regarding the yes. Trinity because it's such yes. an important doctrine uh, that, of course, there's going to be lots about it. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: I also have this book uh, that Tony recommended to me, uh, called "The Story of Creeds and Confessions," tracing the development of Christian of the Christian faith by Donald Fairbairn and Ryan Reeves. Um, if you want a good like historical look at what went on and not a revisionist Jehovah's Witness history, um, go check this out. It's pretty, it's yeah. pretty good. But yeah, so speaking of that, what are we doing next week? Yep, we're going to
1: continue uh, with the Trinity, Part Three trinitarian theology
0: did you just say three-part justin
1: what
0: (laughs) listen we're gonna call this a trilogy of episodes there we go
1: not anything else dodged uh (laughs) and we're gonna be sipping none other than lagavulin 12 uh you said it was cask strength correct it is cask strength Uh, Lagavulin. uh i am extremely excited about that it was sent in by uh, a listener uh matthews
0: thank you matthews
1: yes thank you thank you super excited and then the following week um we're gonna do something else so <laughs> <All right.
0: laughs> stay tuned stay tuned
1: yeah uh, guys if you want to check out more uh, where where can they where can they hit us up like
0: Well you can follow us at facebook.com/ distilling theology where we'll post updates uh, on the podcast like this past week uh, episode was out a little bit late so we just made a note of that from the Facebook page uh, you can join our Facebook group get in on the discussion it's rich it's exciting it's invigorating um call us out. In the group, if you if we say something errant, if we say heresy in this episode, tell us because we don't want to be saying heresy. Like we want to be accurate. Um, and you can also follow us on Instagram slash Distilling Theology. It's a great spot to uh, see pictures of books and whiskey and coffee and our merch, which has been super, super awesome. And also, guys, if you're looking for more theologically sound, robust content, you can head over to the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective, including Assurance of Pardon, The Bobcast, Christ in Context, Distilling Theology, Vast God Stuff, Five Points Church Blending Podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Restless, Seeker Start, Sipping on Theology, Steady Anchor, and The Particular Baptist Podcast. Guys, if you go to reformedpodcasts.com, you can subscribe and get the mega feed of all these shows, our entire back catalog. Also, I must mention, uh, the guys at Reformed Brotherhood did a series a couple years ago on heresy, and you should definitely go check those out, Heresy HeresyCast. Yes. You, they got their Arianism episode. They've got their, mo- like, Go listen to that. It goes really good in depth. Uh, Sipping on Theology, Austin did a whole series on the doctrine of God, specifically on the Trinity, which was really excellent, and he has connections with Jehovah's Witnesses and his family. So really, really good stuff from him. And the particular Baptist podcast had James Dolazal on. So, you know, can't mess that up. But uh, No, not at all. And Justin, if people want more distilling theology, where can they go?
1: Yeah, guys, if you want more of us, if you want to see our faces, if you want to hear our blunders... Uh, and if you want a discount on merchandise, head over to oh. patreon.com slash distillingtheology for $4.99 a month. You will get exclusive bonus content, early releases, live streams. Um, you will get it a week early, generally speaking. Um, you're going to get a whole bunch of extended conversations that we have with our guests and otherwise. Um, so head on over there. It's less than a cup, uh, uh, cup of coffee that you're going to buy. Uh, really, at your local, um, uh, locally sourced uh, homegrown coffee beans uh, that really uh, were actually imported by someone um, and they're lying to you. Uh, so head on over there and uh, save some money. One cup of coffee uh, a month and uh, you can you can join us there. If you join us at 14 a month, uh, after three months, you will get an exclusive mug and some future merchandise down the road. Uh, we're really excited about that. So, Blake,
0: whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do
1: all to the glory of
0: God. Soli Deo Gloria.